This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. My name is Nathan, and I get to serve as the pastor at the campus in Maple Grove. So it's a privilege to be able to be here and to be able to present God's Word. And today we're going to continue in this journey of the book of Joshua and some of the incredible things that God wants to speak to us. I want to mention that today is a day for healing. Today is a day for freedom. Today is a day for stepping out of discouragement, out of frustration, and into the victories that God has for you. So get ready for everything that God has prepared for your life. And the reality is that we all experience defeat. The truth is, I, I am a firm believer in the promises that God gives us. He leads us from victory to victory, glory to glory. And it's through a process that oftentimes uh, grows us at moments of defeat and mistakes. Reality is that we all handle defeat poorly. We have handled it poorly. Some of us would prefer to uh, ignore the facts. We're just bad losers when it comes to bad decisions. You know, when we've screwed up, we've sinned, we've, you know, we're talking about board games. Now I'm talking about real life. Things that can affect our relationships, they can affect uh, our destiny, they can affect our upcoming generations, they can affect our finances, they can affect our, our, our ministry, our service, they can affect our, our mindset. And when we experience defeat, do we just want to like flip the board up and uh, say, let's start over? We can't do that in life. We can't, we can't draw out a different question if we want to skip it. We need to own up to the fact that we oftentimes make mistakes and that we need to grow through that. And that's what today's message is about. We are going to ask Joshua about his most embarrassing, painful moments, okay? Uh, you're safe. Joshua, what was your most painful moment? What was your most embarrassing defeat? And he will answer that for us today. The good news today, before we jump into the book of Joshua, is God is still God, even in your defeat. God is always faithful. He is always just. He is always merciful. We can always trust him, rely on him. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. His essence is goodness, faithfulness, mercy, and justice, and he cannot go against that nature. So whatever you're going through, you might be stuck in a, in a season of frustration, of questioning, of wondering, of, of you know, trying to replay what you went through and, and fix it. Today, God is saying that he, he is going to bring something good out of the pain that you've experienced in your life. And uh, so Fortnite is this game that he's been playing, and uh, he's been educating me on it. You can get different skins. You can get one that has like a unicorn uh, inflatable worn as a backpack and all these amazing things. Yesterday, he said, Dad, check out my replay on Fortnite. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, what, what are we doing right now? And he's like, I'm, I'm showing you uh, the replay of my game that I just played. We got to the point where he was defeated. And, uh, and I said, why do you do the replay thing? He's like, so I can get better and I can learn from it. And I said, oh, that's, can I use that tomorrow in my message? And, uh, and he's like, sure, just don't like, make me look bad, right? And uh, Thinking about pastor's kids, they either get preached to or illustrated about uh, all the time. So the uh, life should have that sense of us being able to replay 
our moments of defeat and learn from it. Joshua's defeats were not obliterated from the story. They were not taken out. Those chapters were not deleted or erased. They were included. In fact, there's two pretty harsh defeats right after the amazing victory at Jericho. He, uh, you know, they've, they've listened to God. They've crossed the Jordan River. They've done amazing things through faith, through faithfulness, marched around the city seven days, blown the horns. The walls fall down, turn into wraps. They're able to step in, take victory. And then right after that, there's a couple of defeats, chapters 7 through 9. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to reference it. And uh, some pretty harsh lessons. How many of you know that sometimes the best lessons that we learn through life come through pain, right? Sometimes those are the lessons that stick. Your aha moments might be very linked to your ouch and oops moments in life. You might, you might be learning these things. They get engraved into our hearts in a way that they wouldn't if we're just hearing the theory or reading a book or, or hearing someone else tell us about it. God will use the difficult moments of defeating your life to bring growth and to lead you into victory. The first lesson that uh, we learned from Joshua, I'm actually going to pick the second story of, of a defeat. They had been instructed that they should not make any alliances with some of the local uh, tribes that were living in the land of Canaan that God was promising them. It says in Numbers 33, 55, Moses said, But if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will harass you in the land where you live. So they had very clear standards like you, you do not compromise you're meant to possess and inherit the whole of the land, not 80%, not 90%, not 95%, the whole of it. The same way you and I are meant to live 100% abundant life. Not 80%, not 90%, not 95%. All of our life must be dedicated and devoted to God's purposes. Amen? So let's go to Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 8, and then we'll jump to 14 through 15. But when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old parched wineskins. And they put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to these Hebites, how do we know that you don't live nearby? For if, we, if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? And then they went into this whole story and they made up, they deceived them and said that they were from far away. Remember the rule was, if they live within the scope of what God's promised, then you don't make a foolish alliance with them. But they checked their bread. They, uh, they, they, they kind of evaluated what was going on uh, just from what they could see physically. And uh, it says in verse 14, so the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people were actually, they actually lived nearby. First lesson, 
Joshua, tell us what, what did you learn at your most embarrassing and painful moments of defeat? First lesson is foolish alliances will become your continual weakness. The book of Judges comes right after Joshua and describes a pattern that, that actually uh, was repeated time after time. The people just got in the habit of just forming alliances when they felt like they could benefit out of a relationship here or there. They're like, you know, we're strong enough to kind of manage this and control it. We're going to set up alliances. And they went against what God had called them to do. And they ended up getting themselves caught up, bound, and uh, stuck in relationships that would become a weakness to them long term. The New Testament, this is not just something that happens in the Old Testament. New Testament, look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Let me just give you a little bit of verbiage from some different versions. We're reading from New Living Translation. The Amplified would describe it as, do not make mismatched alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. New King James Version says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let me keep on reading. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a, part with, be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Verse 15, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So hold up. Are we meant to build a huge bubble and isolate ourselves from the world around us? I think the best clarity that we can get from this principle is the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. And yet he was never... They were never able to accuse him of being a sinner. He never let the relationship with the sinners around him compromise his integrity, his beliefs, and his faith. But oftentimes we will form uh, alliances that end up weakening our faith. We have to negotiate and meet people halfway or meet principles or values halfway, and they draw us away from a full allegiance to God. What does this look like? You know, we, we make these mismatched alliances when we act impulsively based on our natural perception. They examine the bread, the moldy bread. They did not consult God. You know, it's entering into some agreement or oath or covenant or relationship or, or a binding uh, relationship where we just, we, we evaluate it at face value and we don't pause to consult God and talk with him. We fail to consult with God and listen for his voice, for wisdom and discernment. We get tangled up in temporary interest and we lose sight of eternal values. Our foolish alliances become our continual obligation. They're a distraction. They're a weakness for us. Our foolish alliances keep us from fully living out our potential fully living out our calling, fully living out our promised inheritance. What does this look like in, in everyday life for you or me? It may be a friendship that distracts us from God's best for our life. Pastor Nate always says friends are like elevators. They either pull you up or they pull you down. Foolish alliance is being yoked. It's being connected 
with someone that drags you away from the Lord. It may be a sense of obligation in a sinful relationship. Maybe adultery, maybe an emotional affair, but there's a sense of obligation in something that, that breaks God's plan for your life, the, the purity or the covenant that he has established for you. And it's a sense of, of indebtedness to this relationship that holds you back keeps you from fully living out what God has called you to live, what he's intended for you to live. It could be an addiction to a pet sin. I call it pet sin because uh, we feel like we're the master of it. We control it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. You know, I just, I can, you know, I can manage this. And it becomes uh, somewhat of a comfort and companion to us. But we, get, we build a sense of reliance. And how many of you guys know that we, we, didn't, we never master sin? Sin flips it and masters us, right? And uh, it might be greed that leads us into uh, foolish decisions that compromise our finances, compromise our, our, our future or our family. Or, you know, it, it, it might be commitments to noble, good, or neutral things that end up absorbing our time, our energy, in our resources. When we obligate our life, our heart, our values to something outside of God's intentions and purposes, we end up welcoming weakness into our life. Now, if you know me, you know that I am the first to always make an effort to not get stuck in the bubble. I, will, I resist the tendency to just be surrounded by people who are already believers, who already have it together. You know, I work at a church. I, my, I've got great friends at church. I worship at church. And if I'm not careful, I could, I could just become very disconnected from the world around me and never be light and salt. But I always go out of my way and I make efforts to be able to be in a place where I can form, develop relationships with people that are far from faith. And uh, I'm not by any means saying that you need to withdraw from the people around you. Imitate Christ. Be a friend to the people who are not yet part of the family of God. But never compromise your faith, your beliefs, your integrity because of an obligation to that relationship. If you're in that situation today, this is a day where God is preparing this moment so that you can resolve that, cut loose from that obligation and move into another season of victory that he's prepared for you. Amen? Lesson number two. Joshua, what, what else did you learn at your uh, defeats, your painful moments, uh, kind of slaps in the face because of your mistakes? And Joshua would say, you know what? Lesson number two, it's always best to seek God first. It's always best to seek God first. We read it in, the, in this Gibeonite deception. They looked at the bread, but they did not consult with the Lord. And this is something that had happened in the previous battle that they lost against the people of Ai. What happened is they, they uh, were overconfident. They rushed into battle thinking that, you know what? Jericho went so well. Let's just go. Let's take it. This is easy. And look what it says in Joshua 7, verse 2. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. When they returned, Joshua, they told Joshua, there is no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack I, 
since there are so few of them. Don't make all the people struggle to grow up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, bowed face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let us die or let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. It's a bizarre story of what happens here. They're riding on the wave of the previous victory. They get overconfidence. They don't even pause or take time to consult the Lord. Remember, God had given them the strategy for Jericho. So all of a sudden, now they're like, you know what? This is just, this is just easy. It's easy peasy. We can just two, 3,000 guys at the tops. We can just take it. And so they, they just rush in their own strength with their own strategy. They, they're like, God, we got this. You can, you know, we'll save supernatural uh, intervention for, for real needs. But we, got, we, can, we can manage this. We got this, Lord. We got it covered. And uh, they rush into a battle and get defeated. And then their reaction is they are shocked. They're, they're, they're in dismay. They're paralyzed with fear. And, and their courage melted away. Good thing this never happens to people like us, right? We never get surprised by a turn of events our courage never melts away. We're never confused. We're never asking God, why did you let this happen? You know, what's really interesting is Joshua didn't pause to consult God on the front end, but he sure did come back to God on the back end and say, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? And this is one of the, the, the bold spies that, had, you know, for 40 years, he was the optimist, the glass half full. He's like, let's go. We can take it. And now he's like, ah, I wish I had just been content, stayed in the wilderness. Sometimes our defeats can lead us to an attitude of almost giving up. Sometimes our bad choices can convince us that we should have never taken the risk of believing, of walking. We should have just stayed. We should have just given up before the fight. Sometimes... We do the same thing Joshua did. We use faith as a fire extinguisher. We break the glass in the case of an emergency. We, we don't rely on God, but we sure come up to complain when things don't go the way we expect. Joshua would say, this is a huge lesson, and I learned it in a painful way. It's always best to seek God first. It's always best to seek God first. Analia, my wife and I, um, we have... Uh, an approach to big decisions uh, that we've used for years in our life. And I'm not saying that we never make mistakes, but what we do, and you may have had a conversation with us where we've talked this through, is we always say, okay, how much time do we actually have to decide? We've used this each time when we've come to serve here at Emmanuel. We've, we've, we've always felt the excitement, but then we're like, okay, we don't want emotions to take the uh, steering wheel here. We want to make sure God's speaking to us. And we'll say, okay, how much time do we have to decide? We'll set a date and then we'll say, Lord, we want to make a decision by this date. Speak to us. Give us guidance. 
inform our prayers. We will fast. We will pray. We will research. We will have prayers that make sense, that are informed. We will talk to our mentors. We will get counsel. And then on this date, we will decide. And uh, it's been very helpful to us because it takes the pressure off feeling like every minute is a minute of definition and decision. The weight of the decision, we're actually placing it in God's hands. Sometimes we've had to say, God, we really haven't, we haven't really heard much. You haven't sent an angel. You know, there's not, we, you know, we'll drop the Bible, open it up, and there's not really a, a, a verse that stands out, uh, you know. And, and, uh, and we'll say, God, this is how we're leaning. You know, this is, we're going to opt for, for actually out of A, B, and C. We're actually going to opt for C. And uh, if by this date you haven't said differently, we'll take that as a, as a nod from you and a green light from you. And the Lord has, he's often closed doors, and he's often confirmed the doors that he's wanting to open for us. But it's always best to seek God first. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You know what's better than hindsight? God's sight. To be able to get his perspective in, uh, in our reality, in our situation. Amen? Lesson three. Joshua. What else did you learn? The most embarrassing, painful moment. It says in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. And a man named Achan had stolen some of these things dedicated to him. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was a son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. God, you know, at the beginning of chapter 7, he's almost foretelling, you guys are heading into defeat. You're going to go face a battle, but there's sin in the camp. There's someone that, that has gone against what I have commanded, and it's Achan. He's the son of and the grandson of, and he lives at this address. His social security number is, his phone number, email, you can find. And so I'm, God knew exactly what was going on. So what happened was in the loot, all the, the riches of Jericho, when they rushed into the city, God had said, these things need to be dedicated. You cannot, you cannot take them for yourself. And Achan was like, okay, they haven't done inventory yet. No one's going to miss this. I could sure benefit from this. I deserve it. And he got this attitude of entitlement. And so he snatched some of that stuff and brought it back with him. But he must have known something was not really right because he didn't just like hang it on the front of his tent. He buried it under his tent. And he thought, if I can just keep this hush-hush hidden, then it's not really going to affect anyone. No one will know. And at the end of the day, you know, we'll just continue to see victories like we have. But God knew right away. We uh, talked to our kids about this. Lee and I were talking about this today. We always say, hey, you guys can lie to us and trick us, but God knows. And we talk to God. <laughs> God talks to us too, right? And then we just kind of stare at him till it gets awkward. The reality is not, there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. God knows all things. And when God does bring something to light, he doesn't do it to condemn or embarrass us. He does it to heal us. Because the reality is, uh, sin is never neutral. Sin is never harmless. 
And let's just, so we're on the same page. We don't get to define uh, or change the definition of sin. God's already defined that for us, right? And uh, sin is missing the mark. You can miss it by an inch. You can miss it by a mile. But if you're missing the mark for what God has called you to live, what his plan, purpose for your life is, that's it. So we don't, there's no manageable dose of, or dose of sin that you, can, that you can just like, you know, I got just a little bit. It doesn't hurt anyone. It will always lead to destruction and death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. James 1, 14 through 15, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to simple actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's a progress and a progression of desire that turns into decision, that turns into action, that turns into decay. Sin is destructive. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I read this portion in kind of a new, with a new um, understanding this year. It just kind of stood out in a different way. I always thought of it as you cannot mock God. Don't, don't deceive yourself. You cannot mock God. He's going to, you know... He knows you. Your sin will find you out. But what it says is you cannot, you cannot uh, mock the justice of God. You cannot escape the principle, the law of sowing and reaping. So there's no neutral sowing of sin. There will always be consequences. Sometimes those consequences are a gift from God to sober you up, wake you up, wake me up. And, uh, you know, we will always, we will always face the consequences of, of that sin. Eve did it. Eve was like, okay, I can eat from anything, but that really looks good because it's forbidden. And, uh, and, so, and the serpent's like, you know what? I, I think you're right. Did God really mean what he said? And he actually tricked her into redefining sin. And, uh, and she's like, you know, I, I desire that. She grabbed it. She tasted it, and then she shared it. What happened between taking a bite and sharing it with Adam? She's like, Took a bite, swallowed, no lightning bolts. I'm not dead. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal after all. We will often speculate because God is patient and we push limits and we go beyond what he's established. But God's justice, in God's justice, we also experience God's grace, never at the expense of consequences. There will always be a cause and an effect. There will always be a sowing and reaping. Once sin is dealt with, God can lead us into victory. And I, wanna, I just want to pause here and just say, there may be something that you need to address in your life. God will not let you move forward until you address it. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit EmmanuelCC.org.